Um, So pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Um, Jeremy is going to focus on verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. So if he'd come up, I'll pray for him. Father, thank you so much that we could have Jeremy and his family with us here today, but just for a a season here to reconnect, to encourage them. Um, I pray that it would um, be bread for them as they um, are just... um, we pray filled up with encouragement and love. And we pray as, as you know, they come back to, to do what they need to do, you know, fundraise and that sort of thing that you would provide everything they need. Um, but Lord, um, just bless them greatly while they're here. Um, use our brother today as he opens up your word and, and preaches, Lord. Give us open hearts and minds, just receptivity to what you'll teach through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Off. There we go. Do you want your phone? There you go. Well, good morning, Ohio. No, don't worry. I know we're not in Ohio. It's just in my part of the world. When we say good morning, we say Ohio. So, good morning, Ohio. Have you ever been to a Japanese bakery? Yeah, yeah I figured you have been. So, for those of you who have not been to a Japanese bakery, Allow me to describe it for you. When you cross the threshold, your nostrils will be greeted with the freshest aromas of baked bread. You'll have to shield your eyes from the reflection of the light off of the golden brown tops of loaves of bread and muffins and other baked goods. Like music to your ears, you'll hear, which basically means welcome to our store, but it might sound more to you like, take and eat, surely you will not die, but become like God in knowing good from bad. (laughs) And you may have to fight the deceptive servant's temptation to buy everything in the store. Once you've regained your senses, your sight, your hearing, you'll take an empty tray and a pair of tongs, and you'll snake your way through the bakery, carefully inspecting each item, Of course, each good will have a little placard in front of it in either hiragana or katakana or kanji describing what it is. But if you're like me, you might not be so great at reading the kanji yet. So once you've chosen your preferred bread or good, whether it's by sight or smell or because you can read it, uh, whether it's just one item on your tray or a mound of items, you'll then take it to the cash register And there at the cash register, an overhead scanner that's also used with medical technology to identify different things will scan and capture the outline of each item and charge you appropriately. And you'll hand over your Japanese yen or you'll feed it into the machine. They'll hand you these carefully wrapped breads and goods and they'll say, Arigato gozaimashita, as you leave. If you've not had that experience, friends, I really hope you'll make it out to Tokyo sometime in the future to, one, encourage us, um, the Glossons and my family and our church over there, um, 
and join me at a Japanese bakery every day if you want. Uh, it's not, it's definitely not the bread of life, okay? But it is pretty good, I will tell you what. So as funny as that may sound, the truth of the matter is you and I are at a disadvantage as we come to these seven words in the middle of our master's prayer on teaching, or teaching on prayer, excuse me. So think about it. 2,000 years ago in Galilee, people took their daily need for bread and sustenance seriously. It wasn't a guarantee. And still today, in countless parts of the world, this same is true for faithful followers of Christ. But for you here in Colombia and me in Tokyo, Japan, we don't buy bread for the day. We buy it for the week or for the month from the nearest Aldi or Schnucks or Costco. For the most part, if we aren't struggling to find steady work, we don't give a second thought to this petitioning part of the prayer. Rather, we're giving plenty of second thoughts to our 401k or the Christmas wish list or next year's vacation. So like I said, you and I are at a little bit of a disadvantage as we come to today's passage. But there's this conviction that's been growing inside of me in the last few months um, in the States. As most of you know, as Kevin shared, uh, for the last three and a half years, my family and I um, have been away in service to Soma Tokyo. It's a church in the Acts 29 network and the Soma family of churches. It exists to see gospel saturation in Tokyo. That means it wants to see every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus Christ in word and in deed in the places where we live, work, learn, and play. My conviction is this. When it comes to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and to all nations, making, uh, uh, let's see, let me read, um, let's see, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when it comes to this passage, I think that the Western church has done really well in going and making disciples and in baptizing them and in teaching them. But in my opinion, an area where the Western church has struggled is with the latter part of that verse, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So what are you and I to do today in obedience to this passage? Give us this day our daily bread. By and large, I don't think we're super concerned about receiving our daily bread. And when we pray those words to our Heavenly Father, are we truly hallowing His name? Well, last week we heard from Kevin, and he shared about how God has made his will known to us through his word. He spoke honestly of our society's individualistic relativism that makes it difficult for us to truly desire to do and obey his will. And now we come to the first of the petitions in the prayer, which feels a little bit strange to us as 21st century Americans. So, I mean, I'm perplexed. How am I to exposit these seven words in such a way that leads us to greater faith and obedience to the risen Christ? 
So, of course, I want to be faithful to the text both here and in the larger narrative of Scripture. So let's take a minute to zoom out. Naturally, Jesus' hearers in Galilee would have been reminded of the Israelites' time in the wilderness when God provided for them bread from heaven six days of the week. Uh, it's, it's in Exodus chapter 16. The Israelites are a month and a half into their journey, which, spoiler alert, is going to take them 40 years. They're a month and a half in, and they start to grumble and complain. But in verse, uh, five, verses 4 and 5, they're saying it would have been better to die in Egypt. But in verses 4 and 5, God speaks to them and says, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare, prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So this prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples, it actually echoes the promise of God's provision for his people from ages past, even in the midst of their grumbling and complaining. I think the original hearers of this sermon in Matthew's gospel would have clued into that right away. And if your home is anything like my home in the morning, then you know exactly what that grumbling and complaining sounds like. Uh, it seems like nearly every morning, one of our kids will start the day by saying, I'm hungry. Ah! I want French toast. Ah! I want donuts. Ah! And of course, by then, the other two, they'll join in the chorus of this whining and complaining, and my wife and I are praying for the morning trinity of coffee, Jesus, and quiet, and a whole lot of all three. But in spite of the Israelites' constant rebellion and grumbling and complaining, God proves himself faithful to provide their bread for them every day. Now, considering the larger text of Matthew and his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on from his instruction on prayer to address our proneness to anxiety over life. He says in Matthew, verses, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So this naturally follows the design of the Lord's Prayer. Last week, as I said, Kevin preached on your kingdom come and your will be done, and only after that do we get to this petition for our daily needs. And so this is actually where I want to spend most of our time today in exploring more deeply this idea of what we need. My wife, um, well, so I sent my wife a link to a, a beard grooming kit on Amazon for $20, um, as an idea for Christmas. Now, do I need this beard grooming kit, you ask? Well, yes, of course I do. Not that it's any of your business. But go ahead and ask me again, do I really need this beard grooming kit? Well, no, of course I don't. Uh, my beard is going to do what it does, regardless of if I wash it and oil it and brush it with a boar's hairbrush. Um, I don't need it. And I think it's funny but probably true, if we look at our previous orders on Amazon.com or wherever we're ordering from, we would initially justify it saying, oh yeah, I needed this. 
But I think that that's just our hearts justifying our desires more than our legitimate needs. Chip Dodd says in his book, Voice of the Heart, I once believed food, clothing, and shelter was all we needed for life. That's far from true. You and I were created with needs much more powerful than food, clothing, and shelter. We have emotional and spiritual needs that reveal the truth about our vulnerability. We have the need for security, touch, significance, attention, guidance, support, freedom, safety, belonging, grieving, sexuality, accomplishment, nurturing, and trust. We are amazingly complex emotional creatures. And we've been taught in this fallen world and life filled with pain after pain and disappointment after disappointment to distrust our emotions at best or suppress them at worst, as the now famous song lyrics known by most parents go, conceal, don't feel, don't let them show. But I want us to walk away from the gathering today knowing and acting in obedience over three things. One, that God is our heavenly Father and that we would engage with him every day as such. Two, that he is the primary source of provision for our daily needs. And three, as our creator Father, he has given us hearts that have not only physical needs, but emotional and spiritual needs as well. It's my hope that as we obey Christ's teaching on prayer daily, we would awaken to live fully as God has intended for us, as physically, spiritually, and emotionally needy children going to our Heavenly Father daily to have those needs met. So let's expound a little bit more on the first point. I think one of the most important things we can take not only from uh, his prayer, the Lord's Prayer, but his entire Sermon on the Mount and all over the Gospels is knowing and experiencing God as our Father. He opens his prayer, our Father in heaven. And think on Christ's words further down in chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Along with Christ preaching the news of God's coming kingdom, uh, coming near throughout all of the gospel accounts, we see Jesus himself talk to God as his Father. Like in John chapter 11, verses 41 and 42, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they might believe you sent me. So not only does Jesus engage with God as his Father, but in the Lord's Prayer, he's teaching us to do the same. So if we intend to know and engage with God as our Father, we need to consider not just His identity, but our own. So to be a father, you must have what? You can, you can it's, feel free to share. Children, boom, there it is. And for God to be our Father, that makes us His, yes, 
Children, exactly. To drive this point home a bit more, I want you to look with me at John's first letter. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, I'll read from the NIV. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Allow me to read the first part again. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So God is our Father who lavishes us with His great love and we are His children. And what does it children do when they wake up feeling hungry in the morning? They tell their parents they're hungry. They say, feed me. Why? Because a father provides for his children's needs. Again, consider Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, in which Jesus says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I think the biggest problem that you and I have in engaging with God in this way as a father is ultimately because of our stories of origin. In our childhood along the way, we all experience not only the fallenness of the world, but even of our own parents. And I'm not saying that every father is a monster or that every father is a saint. What I'm saying is that we all have ways that our needs, not just physical, but emotional and spiritual, went unmet from childhood. And so you and I developed ways to cope and deal with our unmet needs. We figured out how to survive, which is exactly what our parents did, and their parents before them, and so on. While I would like to give you a quick solution or fix to this obstacle in engaging with God as Father. I don't have one. Rather, I want to validate that for many of us, engaging with God as our Father can be scary. We can be suspicious. And man, if that's here, if that's you here today, I hear you. I see you. And your heavenly Father still lavishes on you with his great love, and calls you his child. That's what you are. And as your heavenly Father, he provides for you. Now, the Jewish people in Galilee had an easier time in acknowledging God as their primary source of provision. As I said earlier, their ancient scrolls of their people's exodus out of slavery from Egypt are filled with testimonies of how God provided for them miraculously through the wilderness. He was their refuge and safety against Pharaoh's armies. He was their guidance as a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. When they were hungry, he fed them with bread from heaven. When they were thirsty, he provided them with water from rocks. When they needed to be made pure in order to be with him, 
He partnered with Moses and Aaron to give them his law and instructions. He was meeting their needs, physical, spiritual, and even emotional. So it's interesting that this word daily in this passage of Scripture has actually given translators and scholars a bit of trouble over the last couple thousand years. And that's basically because it's not very frequently used elsewhere in the Bible. But what's important about that word for us as Christ is teaching us about prayer is that it means we should be depending on Him every day. So much of the time, especially when things are going good, we don't want to depend on anyone in our society, let alone on God. But that's exactly what Jesus desires for us to do, to depend on our Heavenly Father every day, which is all the more important for us as 21st century Americans, especially when we can stock up for months or even years with things like Patriot food supply or other products for preppers. It can seem like a big disconnect when our pantries are stocked, not only with bread, but also toilet paper rolls left over from 2020. But here is an interesting point I heard recently at our debrief when we came back stateside, and it has to do with God's design in the divine human partnership. What I want us to consider is how the entire economic system is activated as God answers our prayer to provide for us, to give us our daily bread. It starts with the farmer sowing the seed and later harvesting the grain. Then it goes to the mill where the miller turns the grain into flour. The flour is then sent to the baker who wakes up early to bake the bread and then she ships it to the supermarket where the stock boy puts it on the shelf for you to pick up and take to the clerk at the cash register. In between each of those places, you have truck drivers drive, taking it from one place to another. Why does that matter? Well, brother, sister, Christian, it's significant because your work matters. Yes, our Heavenly Father is our primary source of provision for our daily needs. That is right and good for us to acknowledge, and in His good design... He invites us to partner with him in bringing his kingdom, his will, and his provision on earth and to his children. So maybe just hold that intention, that in him being our primary source of daily provision, he's also giving us significance in our daily work. He's giving us a purpose. Well, I want to share now um, my own experience in seeing this reality of God's daily provision for us. Um, you know, I used to work for a pretty great company. I'd say the best company I've ever worked for. Um, I owned a home over on Parquet, in Parkade. I had two cars and a 401k. It was pretty good. And then in obedience to what uh, we and those around us confirmed to be God's leading in our life, I left that job, sold that home, gave away those cars, and raised the support so we could go live on mission in Tokyo. And I'll never forget the words of Mo Harris um, one night at MC. I was excitedly telling her that we'd reached like 70 to 80% of our support raising uh, goal and that God was taking us to Japan. And she stopped me and she said, Jeremy, he's not calling you to Japan. Which really confused me at first. You know, they've been walking with us on this journey over the years, but then she said, Jeremy, he's calling you to himself 
and he'll continue to do that wherever you are. Um, Mo, those words have been life-giving to us over the last three and a half years. Thank you. They've been so good for us to cling to over and over again. Because I remember during the height of the pandemic when we lost over $1,500 in monthly support. And when you're living overseas with, you know, your wife and your three kids, you feel that squeeze. And you need to pray every time you go to that JP Post ATM, give us this day our daily bread. And you need to keep those words close to your heart that God is going to continue to call you to himself. Um, you know, today my family's needs in order to truly thrive in Japan as we seek to make disciples, um, our sending organization has said, you know what, you guys need to raise another $5,000 in monthly support. So again, know that as I preach this today, I am also praying Give us this day our daily bread, because I don't know where that will come from other than God moving people's hearts to join him on mission. So we've seen that he's our father and that we should engage with him as children, as his children. We've learned that through his design of divine human partnership, he is our primary source of provision for our daily needs. And at last, I want us to take time to consider not just our physical needs, but our emotional and spiritual needs as well. So let me share that quote with you again from earlier by Chip Dodd. I once believed food, clothing, and shelter was all we needed for life. That is far from true. You and I were created with needs much more powerful than food, clothing, and shelter. We have emotional and spiritual needs that reveal the truth about our vulnerability. We have the need for security, touch, significance, attention, guidance, support, freedom, safety, belonging, grieving, sexuality, accomplishment, nurturing, and trust. The last two years, Leanna and I have been on a journey through counseling to better understand our hearts and their own emotional needs. We've been learning to not only understand what emotions we're feeling, but to communicate them to one another and hopefully, bit by bit, to validate one another in our emotions. And as we've been walking through this book, Voice of the Heart, with our Tin Man coaches and as we explore our own stories of origin, we're learning more about these, primary, these eight primary emotions that we all experience that can actually point us to our needs. Those emotions that all of us experience are anger, hurt, sad, lonely, fear, guilt, shame, and glad. So, of course, I don't have the time to share everything about these emotions on our own journey, but think of it like this. Do you ever see the check engine light come on in your car? When you notice it, you'll probably recognize that it's telling you your car has a need for maintenance. There's something going on under the hood that needs to be addressed. 
that literally happened to me yesterday morning. We, you know, we're getting ready to come to Columbia from St. Louis, where we previously were. Uh, we, we hopped in our car. I had said, like, okay, I want to be on the road by 10. I want to get there before noon, which really means we need to be in the car by 9.30, um, maybe earlier. And so there it is, 9.30. Yeah, 9.30, and we're in the car, in the driveway. Okay, so far so good. Fifteen minutes later, we're able to pull out of the driveway once all the kids are settled and everybody's calmed down and, okay, and the Wi-Fi, okay, got it, okay, good, no, no iPad, no TV shows, great, no, who needs them anyways? It's only an hour, 40 minutes. And so then, you know, at 9.45, we're, we're pulling out down the road through the neighborhood. Yes, we're beating, we're ahead of schedule. I'm feeling glad right now. And then there's a little yellow light that flashes on in the dashboard, <laughs> And it says tire, and it has an exclamation point. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. It's cold out, you know, it just got really cold. The air pressure has changed. We'll just stop by the uh, mobile uh, gas station up the road and fill the airs with tires. Uh, fill the tires with air. Sorry, I speak in this other language half the time, and so it's like backwards, and language is weird. Um, and so we, we did, we filled the tires up. I got back in. And it was 10.02, and we were back on the road. Praise God. But that, that check end, or well, it was a check tire pressure light, right? But that light is telling me that something needs to happen with my car, okay? Our emotions are like that. They're telling us there's something going on that we need to look into and address. So, you know, if we're feeling hurt, the chances are we need attention, Think about when a kid gets hurt at the playground. What do they do? You know, the little toddlers, they'll cry out. If their parents don't come right away, they'll cry out louder. They want that attention of their parents to feel better, even if they, they, they didn't get hurt very bad, right? Or think about when we feel angry. Everyone feels angry sometimes, and that's okay. I'm, I'm teaching my four-year-old, four-year-old son, like we have this book, Everyone Feels Angry Sometimes. We're reading through that. We're learning that, yeah, everybody does feel angry. That's, a, that's an emotion that we have. That's an okay emotion to have, but how can we control it? And Paul says even, there's a way to be angry and not to sin. But when we're angry, for a lot of us, our voices get louder. For others of us, we get really quiet. But in both cases, which side note, is something that we likely learned in childhood from our caregivers, we have a need for our voices to be heard. Um, a perfect example of this, of, of how we were putting this into practice in the last couple of years. Uh, our city is, you know, 37 million people. Um, and when you have three little kids traveling through a city of 37 million people on a bus and a train can be a little bit like hot water added to a tea bag. It can be a little bit stressful. We are getting ready to go, um, leave our home. Um, transitions have always been a tricky thing for our family. Um, and we are going to go visit another missionary family that lived about an hour away. Tension levels were rising, I could tell. We've been doing this emotional heart stuff for a little while. And so I said, all right, we're having a family meeting. Let's go to the living room. And we go into the living room. I say, Leanna, how's your heart? You know, <laughs> being the good leader I am. And I'm ready, guys. I have seen what's going on. I am ready for her to say how angry she is, and she needs her voice to be heard. And she says, I'm scared. And for me, that was a moment. I mean, just, I mean, 
how to explain it. Think about this, you know. If you see somebody who's angry, you're going to respond one way. If you see somebody who's scared, you're probably not going to respond the same way, right? Um, yeah, it, yeah, right? Does that make sense? Like if you're feeling angry, you want, you're passionate about something, you want your voice to be heard. If you're feeling scared, you want protection. You want somebody to help you, to, to be a refuge for you. Those are different things. Sometimes they can look similar on the outside, but they're different things, different needs that we have going on inside. Um, when we're sad, we need someone to comfort us, right? When uh, we're lonely, we want to be known. We want intimacy. Like I said, when we're feeling afraid, we need uh, protection and refuge. We need help. And all of us have felt guilt and shame before. Um, it's easy, I think, to confuse guilt and shame. But to say it briefly, guilt is an emotion that we experience when we have done something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong as a person. In our guilt, we need forgiveness. And in our shame, we need acceptance. We need attunement. Ultimately, these emotions of guilt and shame, they point us to the true spiritual need that we have. And here is the hope of the gospel. Jesus lived a fully human life. Throughout the gospel accounts, we can see when Jesus experiences anger and sadness and loneliness and hurt and fear, and when he felt glad. And in Galatians 3.13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. You see, on the cross, Jesus bore our sin. He took our shame and our guilt. And that is why we can trust and go to God to depend on him for our daily needs, both physical and emotional and spiritual, because the tomb is empty, brothers. God has given us the very bread of life, his son. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave, and through him, you and I have that reconciliation to God. We've received that forgiveness. He's taken our shame and accepted us and called us his children. He's lavished. Our Father has lavished on us his great love and called us his children. How much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? So, yes, let us leave here knowing and engaging with God as our Father. Let us ask him daily to provide for our needs as a church, as a, as a family, as a city, emotional, physical, spiritual. Let us begin to live fully out of the hearts that God has given us as we experience our Father not only meeting physical needs, but also those emotional needs and those spiritual needs through his son, Jesus Christ. We're about to take communion, where the bread represents Christ's body broken for us, and the juice represents his blood poured out for us. 
Brother Christian, sister Christian, I am so excited to share this meal with you. I've decided to share it with you for the last three and a half years. I have missed you. I have been lonely for you. But there is a right way for us to take the cup. If you need to forgive someone, go do it before you take the bread. If you need to ask a brother or sister's forgiveness, go do it before you take the cup. If you are here today and you don't identify as a follower of Christ Jesus, man, I am so glad that you're here and that you would give me these 30 minutes or so to share with you my conviction. But in that case, skip the bread and the cup. It's for those who currently are putting their faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Um, Myself and one of the pastors will be in the back um, if you have questions about the sermon, if you want us to pray with you, man, yeah, please come and talk to us. That's what we're here for. Um, but let's pray now. Father, I thank you that um, as Jesus teaches us to pray, he's not teaching us a, to, uh, a prayer to pray as individuals, but as a community. I thank you that as he's teaching us to pray, he's teaching us to go to you like little children as our father. I thank you that your word reveals that you have lavished your great love on us and called us your children, that you will give so much more good things to those who ask. God, You, in your design, have made it so that humans partake in bringing your kingdom and your will to partner with you. I pray that we would still see our need, even in the 21st century America that we live in, which is so, I mean, we're just fortunate, we're blessed, but I pray that we would be more and more like our brother and sister Christians of ages past in depending on you daily for all of our needs, our physical needs, financial needs, God, for our emotional needs, and God, uh, for our spiritual need, which you have given us, your son, the very bread of life. Help us Holy Spirit, to obey what Christ teaches us here today. Father, I I thank you for these brothers and sisters. What a joy. Would you be glorified as we seek um, to follow you faithfully, as we seek to go back into the world Monday through Saturday where our work matters, where we have a purpose in joining with you. I thank you for your provision. I thank you for your son. In Christ's name, amen.